join us today where we have been focusing on shifting dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world since 2011. I can't believe we've been doing it this long. If you aren't a subscriber, you know, please do so. Just uh, click on the subscribe button and um, learn and share new techniques that you will get along with tips and resources uh, from the show and our guests. We interview a range of people from those actually diagnosed with a form of dementia to families to business professionals of all sorts to singers and songwriters and movie directors and researchers. Um, It's just endless. We truly believe that everyone um, has the power to have have a positive impact on dementia. I'm Lori LeBay, and I'm the host of the show, and I am also the daughter of a mother who lived with dementia for 30 years, so I get the guilt, the isolation, the frustration, and the exhaustion that can come for caring for another person, but I've also been lucky enough to find the path of joy and purpose and passion, so listen and let us help you along the way. Now, before I introduce our guest, I want to do a couple of shout-outs. One is just to uh, Alzheimer's Disease International. Their World uh, Alzheimer's Report is out. You can find that on our blog, but you can find all of our information by going to alzheimerspeaks.com. There's also um, a survey by the World Dementia Council that is looking to find out from companies and organizations what they are doing to become dementia-friendly. They're trying to gather research, and maybe you're doing something, even if it's a memory cafe and you don't have research behind it, they still want to know what the benefits are because they want to be able to pull funding together and um, share that knowledge. Uh, I also would love to give a shout out to the Memory Cafe directory. I so highly believe in those. We have over 700 of those now in the U.S. And you can go to um, Memory Cafe directory and you will find them listed by U.S. and also um, in other countries. Dave has put that together. For those of you that don't know what a Memory Cafe is, it's a support group or a gathering for people with dementia and their loved ones where dementia pulls everybody together, but it kind of takes a back seat and it's about building community and, and friendships. It's just a wonderful, wonderful um, tool um, and support for people to have. And last, I want to give a, a shout out to Stall Catchers. Stall Catchers is a game that you can play where you actually analyze real Alzheimer's data. So how cool is that? And just Google uh, stall catchers and you will be able to find find that link there. Um, I always like to yell out to our 
loyal listeners too and just thank each and every one of you your likes your clicks and shares have pushed us out all around the world and you know i hope you continue to do that because it's working together that's making a difference where we can build a sense of community and collaboration and comfort for people dealing with dementia and you know collaboration is the way we're going to win this battle against against these diseases um now, you can also call in on the show today. That number is 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. So um, please don't hesitate to, uh, to call in with any questions that you, that you may have. So let's get to our guest today. We are going to be talking about caregiving coaching. And some of you out there might be thinking, what the heck is that? And do I need that? Or yes, I do need that. But how do I how do I find a coach? Well, Sandra Dubin is with us today. And she has been working with families and their aging parents for over 20 years. Um, she has a BS in psychology and a background in medical school social work. And so she's helped hundreds of families move from chaos to calm when negotiating those tense situations that can happen when a loved one is in crisis. Uh, Sandra has the ability to really understand what a family is going through and to be able to communicate effectively, not only with family members, but other professionals so that everyone gets a clear action step and is able to formulate a plan. So welcome, Sandra. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lori. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you with us. I, I think this is a really valuable topic and, you know, people are always looking for resources, but it's a little scary sometimes to reach out. Um, and so before we get into our line of questioning, I always like to kind of get a, a baseline uh, for myself in the audience and, and ask you this question. And that is, have you been personally touched by dementia in your your family or circle of friends? Um. Not, you know, I haven't personally been touched in my own family. My um, my parents were really young when they had me. I, there's just not been a lot of longevity in my family, I guess to say the least. So I had um, a set of grandparents, um, but my grandmother died at a young age, and then my grandfather died after a bout with cancer. So I haven't, I didn't have a lot of experience from my family perspective. Now, of course, I have lots of friends who are going through similar difficulties with their loved ones with dementia and memory loss. And then, of course, I've been in this industry for over 20 years um, working with lots of families. So that's really where my breadth of experience comes from. Okay, great. How did you, how did you get started in this industry? What pulled you in this direction? Um, you know, it's really interesting because I think a lot of people in this industry have a personal story. Like you have a personal story. Lots of people that I talk to have a personal story. And mine um, is sort of interesting in that I applied for a job at a nursing facility. I had been working with juvenile delinquents prior to this, and I was really burned out on doing that. And so I had applied for a social work position at a nursing facility. And I got the job and then I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because I don't like needles and I don't like blood. 
So <laughs> going into this, this I mean, going into this medical environment, I wasn't really sure what to expect. And then what happened for me is that I just fell in love with the people. I fell in love with the elders that I was serving and, and talking to and just learning about their history and their life. And I was so fascinated by that and just thought, we have so much to learn here. Um, and I just loved them. And then I, I started working more with their families and, you know, working on discharge plans and all of these things and found a way to really help people at a time that they, they need that help and they're embarking on something new or different. Um, and, you know, just having somebody on your side that can navigate that way for you was really so, um, I don't want to say inspiring, I'm trying to think of the word, but it just really filled me up, and I loved just being able to help people and work with them on these challenges. Wonderful. So when you started your, your caregiving coaching, I know a lot of people, you know, they're just kind of tugged on the shoulder, you know, um, by people going, hey, can you help me? And it, it turns out fairly natural. Did that happen for you, or was this a conscious decision to step in and and just build a business? It really was a conscious decision for me. I had been working in um, assisted living and memory care for quite some time, and towards the end of doing that kind of work, I was working with this woman who um, she has she had three sisters. They were, and remarkably for this family, they were really all on the same page. They had a very challenging situation with their dad and their mother, and their mother had dementia. And dad was, you know, in essence, the power of attorney and the one in control because he was her spouse. And he had a lot of issues himself that he was in denial about, and he was in denial about his wife's level of um, memory loss as well. And they were in crisis quite a bit and the daughters were going to another state to, you know, deal with whatever the crisis du jour was. And just, she was having a lot of anxiety, a lot of issues around it. It just felt very stuck in the process. And the family had made a decision to, they weren't at that time going to try for a guardianship or, you know, they didn't want to interfere in that relationship with their dad. So they were trying to do the best that they could. And, I realized, you know, part of, I mean, a big part of my job was to get people to move into the community, and that's what she wanted for her mom, and her dad would agree, and then he would not agree, and, you know, so they were in this push-pull situation, and I loved working with her, um, but I realized that my time with her was very limited if she wasn't going to move her mom into the community, that I couldn't just continue to have conversations with her about what to do. I mean, I'd talk to her husband, just all of these things. And I thought, she really just needs a coach, you know, <laughs> somebody who can, where she can talk about her feelings and emotions and someone who can help her deal with some of those things, but also come to some practical solutions of how to deal with the situation with her dad and to help them move through should they decide to make any other decision, like if they decide to go for guardianship or if they decided to do something different, um, how do we approach that in the best way possible? And so that was really the inspiration for my coaching business is I just felt there is a lot more help, a lot more insight that people need that they don't always get even from their friends and family, you know, regardless of how well-intentioned they might be. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very, very true. There's a lot of good intentions, but they don't necessarily <laughs> support what's what's going on. And then there's some that, that aren't such good intentions either that really well, that... match up with family dynamics and things as well. Absolutely. So uh, can yeah, I ask, so you know, true. When, when you're dealing with, with people, have you seen in your 20 years an, an increase of those who are, are struggling with dementia? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know that in the last really couple years, maybe even as far back as five years, I don't know that we're seeing anybody. I don't know that I've seen anybody that doesn't have some sort of memory loss or dementia or Alzheimer's um, as it relates to, you know, looking at senior living options and those type of things. So I think it's becoming much more prevalent. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely do. And people are, are, more comfortable talking about it now too. I mean, I think back, well, you know, my mom's been gone five years. So, you know, 35 Mm -hmm. years ago, no one even knew the word dementia, barely knew the word Alzheimer's. And, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody had any resources. There was nothing in the paper, nothing on the news, nothing on the radio. Um, You know, it was just, it was almost like this, um, a scarce disease, and yet it wasn't by any stretch. It just went under a lot of different names back in the day, from hard, hardening right. of the arteries to, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And so um, I, I'm glad that it's come under this umbrella name of dementia, at least, so that people don't feel so isolated and things. Can you tell us, you know, what's the difference between you and other people in the coaching space? Maybe tell us what others do and and how you maybe do it a little bit differently. So I, um, absolutely. So I think that people generally think about coaching as like, am I a care manager? Um, Because I think that's the, the probably most prevalent thing out there. And I can do some care management stuff in terms of helping you with resources because I'm aware and have knowledge of a lot of the different resources that are out there. Um, What's different is that I'm really focused on the caregiver um, as a whole, Um, talking about their self-care, talking about their emotions, helping to deal with family dynamics that are going on, helping them to work with professionals. What do professionals say? You know, we have this big mystique around doctors and, you know, well, the doctor said this or the doctor said that. And there's so many things that doctors really don't know in terms of, you know, they know about the human body and they know about practicing medicine, but there's all these societal things and and rules and regulations, even as it relates to your health care about what will get paid for, what doesn't get paid for, how to go through this track or that track. And so there's just a lot of things that you have to sort of, uh, you know, work in between the lines around. And it's just all of those kind of things that I do from a coaching perspective. But the biggest thing is really dealing with, with the caregiver's emotions, putting some emphasis on them, setting some boundaries, whether it be even with the, even with the person they're caring for or their family members, um, just so that you can create a better structure for yourself. And like, I love what you said at the beginning, that you were also able to find that the joy and purpose and passion. And that's really what I'm all about. I think that there are ways to find that joy and passion and that this doesn't always have to be um, something that's just viewed as um, a negative, you know, thing. Yeah, the the doom and the gloom gets really old. 
you know, right. and, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I learned I learned to ask myself, what's the lesson? What's the lesson? There's got to be a reason we're all going through this. And and I just found, you know, I I tell people my mom's disease, you know, and she suffered with it for for 30 years or lived with it, and it, it, her disease is probably the biggest gift I'll ever receive in my life because. She taught me so many beautiful lessons during that process. And I think we all are probably like me. We think we're a pretty good person to start with. But, you know, if if we really walk alongside graciously with this, it, yeah, it'll turn your life upside down, but it can turn it upside down in a really, really good way as well. And, you know, teach you to let go of things that you can't control and teach you to embrace what is versus what isn't. And um, right. that's a, those are huge, huge gifts, I think. Huge, huge gifts. Um, when you are, are, you know, you had mentioned, you know, kind of giving people hope and things. Are there other ways you feel you differentiate yourself from, from other coaches in the space? Well, I will tell you, so I know at the beginning you asked if, um, if I had been touched by dementia personally, and I, and I, and I haven't, but one thing that I have, and this is what really resonated with me when I was talking with this client that I had, the woman who was my inspiration for starting this business, uh, because it was about setting some boundaries and, you know, with her dad even and the sort of crisis intervention that was happening. And so what I related to her was uh, sometimes there, you have to have some tough love. And uh, my own experience, I have, a, I have a grown daughter who has had some issues with addiction and when I was in the crux of that, a lot of the lessons that you were just talking about, walking courageously, you know, by their side, how it will turn your life upside down, how you can learn to find the joy, you know, all of those things. So even though it wasn't a dementia diagnosis that really changed my life, I've walked this path in a different way. And mm-hmm. I understand how challenging um, this can be when, some, when you're dealing with somebody who's not rational or just not thinking rationally or when you think you know what's best for them, right? But you may have to step back and say, you know, sometimes they get to make their own, you know, they get to make their own decisions. And I know that's hard in the later stages of dementia, but in the early stages, sometimes people have to be allowed to make some poor decisions and poor choices. And, and then you also have to have some tough love that comes out of these things. And so that's the part to me that um, I feel like really – helped me to connect with this person is that even though I wasn't dealing with the same things that she was dealing with, I had dealt with a lot of those things um, and really had to make some choices and decisions about my own life. And like you said, find the joy, find the passion, find the lessons. Um, And I feel the same way about my daughter's addiction that you do about your mom's dementia is that this really changed my life, but it taught me so much um, about myself and I mean, the lessons were really invaluable to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've, done it, the hard, I've done the hard stuff. I've done the hard stuff. You know, I understand um, from that perspective how hard and how challenging it can be. And the dynamics between a parent and a child. Um, yep. And just navigating through those. Well, and every family is different, too. So it's not like right. when you meet one family, you've met one family. It's you know, it doesn't right. work like that. It'd be nice, but, but you know, we're right. all different. We well, all 
we all carry different grudges and we have been Mm -hmm. blessed with different things. And, you know, that's just, that's just the way it is, even in the same family. Um, Sometimes, you know, I, I talk with a lot of families that struggle and say, how do I get my siblings on board? And, you know, my, my, question to them you know have you ever been able to a pattern and you know most of them say well yeah this is how we've always been well then you're probably not going to be able to change that at this stage of right. the game and and I was you know I was the only girl I had older brother younger brother and they were perfectly content for me to step up and step in and then you know at the end it was like, well, why do you have all these stories? You know, and I'm like, well, I was there. You know, it was right. I showed up, and and that that right. that realization changed my life because I was so mad at them, you know, for a long period of time, and oh. uh, for you know trying to get them to be like me. And, you know, we don't mm-hmm. want, you know, everybody to be like me. I mean, that would be pretty boring out there. But it, it made me realize, again, what a gift I got and what a loss they had. And, and that's what they chose. And not being right. learning to not be responsible for other people's outcomes. You can only do so much. Um, right. Do you see that that's one of the big dynamics that in coaching that you're dealing with is getting people to focus on their relationship with whoever they're caring for and and letting go of maybe some of the others if if it's not possible to pull them in no that's i mean that's absolutely the probably the biggest bulk of what i do because at the end of the day we can only change ourselves right so we're never going to be able to get somebody on board particularly with our agenda (laughs) so um but we can change how we interact with them. And this becomes really tricky with siblings too, because in a time of crisis in dealing with our parents' situation, we tend to deal with each other the same way we did as when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Because we grew up, we, we moved out, we went on with our own lives. We don't have this dynamic of growing and changing over time with each other as adults. So we tend to relate back to the way we used to relate. And if we didn't relate well as children, we're probably not going to relate well now. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, we have to figure out for ourselves, what can we do to change the dynamic? Um, what can we do to work on us? How can we see this situation differently? Um, but it really is. And a lot of it's about giving up that, that I have to be responsible for other people's feelings and for what they do and giving up control of how I think things should be. Yeah. And that, that's tough. It's, you know, cause we, we take the job so seriously and, and we should, you know, don't get me wrong there, Absolutely. but, but sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to just be perfect. And, you know, none right. of us are perfect. Um, right. You know, most, most of the time we're not getting it right. And, and so, and that's okay. That's okay. That's okay to admit that, you know, um, and just keep trying, you know, keep moving, right. moving forward with stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a very, very interesting, um, very, very interesting process that we all go through. <laughs> it kind of, well, kind of just it blows is. me away some days. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, the thing about this, and this is what I love about doing this kind of work, is that, to your point, you've met one family with, you know, that has dementia and they're in a dementia diagnosis with a loved one. You've met one family. And that's what I love about this. There's core things that are the same, you know, that happen through, with a lot of different families, but the dynamics are always different. And how you, how you get to the end result is always different. Um, I was reading a post the other day from a woman who was talking about her situation with her sister, and the sister was doing more of the caregiving, and um, and I think this other this, the person posting was maybe lived farther away or something, and the sister accused her of not loving her mom as much as she did because you know she was the main caregiver, and so she, clearly she loved her mom more, and that just really you know was hurtful to to hear that or to have her say that. And, and those are the kind of things that I think we get caught up in the guilt of it or the shame of it, or maybe you did have a different relationship with your parent than the one who's doing the primary caregiving. Um, or maybe you do, you know, you do love your parent just as much, but you can't be there for whatever reasons. And so that invokes guilt and shame and, you know, different things like that. So it's not always just the primary caregiver I work with, but sometimes, you know, the other siblings too, because, they have their own feelings about not being able to be there as much as the other person. And then they, they feel guilt and shame around that sometimes and have their own emotions. And so, and, and sometimes it's just looking at that. If you are the primary caregiver, you know, being able to accept that people act and feel differently about the situation than you do and allowing yeah. those feelings to happen. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and one of the things that I realized was, you know, I, I, when we, I had this conversation with my brothers and, and, you know, we ended up diving in a little bit deeper and it, it was a huge revelation. And I think a lot of families go through this, you know, one person steps in, steps up and is kind of the primary, and then they feel a little bit used and abused and exhausted mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the others, you know, the others are like, go at it. You're doing a good job. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how it feels. But what my brothers brought to the table when we had our discussion was really interesting. And they said, well, you know, you're kind of a control freak. And I'm like, well, no, I, I'm just organized. And they, they felt they could never meet my expectations. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. I'll take some of the responsibility, but I'm not going to take it all because you could have had this conversation with me before and you chose not to. But right. it, it made me realize their perspective of what I do and how I do it is very different from theirs. And, right. and, and you know, it can be intimidating when someone, you know, because sometimes the family, when you're thinking, gosh, I wish they'd help, they're like just in awe of what the person is doing. But they don't, they don't really say it, you know, right. but, but, they, but they're like, well, I don't want to do that because I don't think I could. I, or I couldn't do right. it as well, you know, and they don't want right. to let their parents down either. So it's, it's really opening that door to, to different conversations of what, what holds people back. And, and sometimes it's distance. They just physically can't be there to do certain things. Other times it's discomfort with tasks they're being asked to do. Like, you know, somebody being asked to maybe bathe a parent and that's just very uncomfortable right. or being in charge of the finances and they're just not good at that. And that, and right. but those, but those reasons don't seem to be talked about. Uh, right. is, 
that's what I see anyways. Is that what you see? It's that's a lot of what I see. And then what it comes down to is a lot of blame and shame, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Instead of having those conversations and really digging through that, um, we then just, we come up with our own thoughts in our head about what's going on with the other person or the other people. And, um, and then we sort of, you know, pinpoint them into this hole or this corner of what their thought or feeling is or why they're not participating as much when there's, a million reasons out there. Definitely some of the things that you just said. I, I mean, for example, when my grandfather had cancer, he had um, throat cancer and he had a trach. And um, my sister was a nurse. She's, and um, he had come home for like the holiday and, and she had a suction his trach and that sort of thing. And she was carrying the, the, um, the part of the machine through to go dispose of the, the um, drainage. And I was like, better you than me. And um, so then she went back. I mean, it was just kind of a joke. I mean, she knew like, I'll handle all the social work stuff, but you, you can handle the nurse stuff, you know? Yep. And then she went in and told my grandfather, like, um, you know, next time that you need to be suctioned, you let Sandy know because she wants to help you. And I was like, I don't want to help. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, this, it really was just her way of being, you know, some little sibling back and forth kind of thing, because I thought there's, I got used to the blood and the needles, but the, the whole trach things, I never got used to it. I was like, Oh, no way. will I do that. So, you know, sometimes it's just knowing what your limitations are and what you're able to do and being able to speak about it. But I think a lot of times families don't give you that opportunity um, to do that, or you don't take the opportunity um, again, Part of it is because you're so happy the other person has stepped up. You don't want to mess it up in any way by having a conversation because they might ask you to do something and then you don't want to do it. Exactly. I just want to um, mention again, if we have listeners out there that have a question or a comment, please feel free to call in at 323-870-4602-323-870-4602. Never know if if someone's going to be brave enough to call in and ask um, what's on their mind. You know, I think one of the, the big problems families have is most of us have never had like and this might sound off, but I'm just how I'm going to phrase it, had facilitated conversations for an end goal. You know, families just kind of talk and we let our dynamics just go naturally. And sometimes they go naturally off the hook and people can lose their temper or walk out the room or not communicate going forward. And, you know, we we haven't taken what we've learned maybe in work into the home. To say, okay, let's let's right. just, this is this is our end goal. How can we all support this? You know, that's usually right. not how it starts. It's usually I need you to do this and you to do that, and I'm doing that. And and there's one person directing instead of really sitting down. And I mean, I've seen a few families be able to handle it beautifully, but very, very few are lucky enough to be able to have those open conversations or to even see the same needs. Right. And I mean, it's so true. It, you know, here's the thing we, we, in a work situation, it's, you know, it's typically a calmer environment. We're trained to handle some crisis situations. We get this training about communication and things. And to your point, we don't bring that into the home. Um, But we're also 
this usually starts as a crisis situation. Yeah. Um, because as a society, we do not, you know, the only thing that we know for sure are death and taxes, right? But we don't yep. talk about money and we don't talk about death and dying. And we don't have these conversations ahead of time about, you know, what does this look like for our family? Who would step in? How do we do this? You know, that type of thing. And it makes it, it's very, very uncomfortable. And I totally, you know, get that. I mean, both of my, I have two younger sisters. Both of them are nurses. My background social work. So we've got it covered. We, and, you know, we'll talk to my dad and say, you know, dad, we, I need you to sign a power of attorney so that, you know, we can make some decisions if we need to, blah, 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 whatever. We're, um, we're very open about it just because of the industry that we've worked in. My, my one sister has been in hospice for a long time. So we're, we're just very attuned to this. And my dad says, oh, you act like I'm going to die tomorrow. You know, that's what he always says because he just doesn't want to address it or talk about it. And I'm like, it's not that I think you're going to die tomorrow. But, you know, it's because what's likely to happen is that you're going to get into a crisis situation and make some decisions. And, mm-hmm. um, and we need to have some guidelines for making those decisions. And um, so we almost talk, you know, more about it than my dad is comfortable with. Um, you know, my sister and I have had this conversation because being single um, you know, I, I needed some help with who would make some decisions, and, and we talked about what we would want um, so that she could help guide my children. And, um, you know, it was an uncomfortable conversation, but we both know that it's necessary because we work in this industry. But a lot of people just don't take that time or energy um, to do that because it's uncomfortable to talk about. And, and the generation ahead of us, our, our parents were not always willing to have those conversations. You know, these things were kept quiet. You didn't talk about them, um, all of that stuff. So you have a lot of different issues and challenges that you face, which is a perfect, you know, it, it turns into then a perfect storm most of the time. Mm-hmm. Because you've yeah. got all these competing things out there happening that you, you know, we haven't addressed the the health issues or or how people want this process to look like we haven't, you know, we come at it from all these different angles based on our own experiences. Um, we don't communicate well, you know, <laughs> yep. we, we don't create um, an environment to communicate well. And um, it just is a perfect storm for a lot of, a lot of crisis, a lot of hurt feelings, you know, different things like that. Not that I want to talk about all doom and gloom, because that's the things that I want to help people through that they're not always upset, overwhelmed, stressed out, you know, that type of thing. Well, and when you talk about powers of attorney and stuff, I mean, we are so backwards as a society because we wait till we're in crisis or or right before it hits, Mm -hmm. you know, to address it. So then, so then it's more perceived as an end of life issue versus smart living. And it really is smart living because, uh, you know, any of us could get in a car accident tomorrow or have a heart attack or, you know, 10 million other things. And we should be prepared ahead of time. We should give some thought as to how do we want to be cared for and who do we want in charge because after the fact, not so good. I, I mean, I personally, I would love to see this be established at the age of 18, having these conversations mm-hmm. and getting these documents in order. Because I, I, I've had personally probably three or four friends who have been paying for a child's health care and something happens to them and they're in the hospital and they can't get any information. 
and there's, right. there's nothing. It's a, a horrible situation. And, right. you know, and, you know, so this isn't about old age. It's about any age and just protecting your interests and talking openly on the subject. Um, my folks or prime example, you know, we were like, oh, you got to do your will and power of attorneys. And, you know, my dad kind of brushed up. Oh, we don't have that much. And it can wait. And I said, you know what? What if Tom and I do it with you? Because mm-hmm. we need to update ours. And they're like, oh, you had that in order? Well, yeah. And and then that changed everything. Then they didn't look mm-hmm. at it as a death and dying thing. And so right. I, I just I just think it's just such a valuable conversation. And then people don't know where to go. So with coaching too, do you help you know give them resources in terms of of where to go or even titles to Google because people you know you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, people people go, I'll just go to a, an attorney. And it's like, well, no, maybe you want to get to an elder law attorney. You know, well, right. what's different? Well, you know, one that does real estate or commercial transactions probably isn't going to be as knowledgeable. And, you know, right. if you want in need. Uh, but people don't know that all these, you know, little categories exist or that even caregiving coaching exists. Many don't know because, again, you don't know what right. you don't know. No, absolutely. And that's the thing. So, to answer your question, yes, I do give people resources um, because there's just there's so much information out there, and it's and it's always so interesting. I'm sure that you've come across this. You may even come across this when you first you know started working with you with your mom and her situation. Is that um, people always say there's just no information. I don't know how to find information. There's just nothing out there. And I'm thinking I have at my, you know, at my fingertips, I could name off a hundred professionals right now that could help you, you know, <laughs> with mm-hmm. every single one of your needs. And, and in this, you know, in this professional industry, um, I feel like we do a lot to get the word out there. You know, I've, I've set up presentations with elder law attorneys or, you know, you have all of these things that happen to provide information for people and nobody comes because nobody wants to talk about these things and nobody wants to face them. And so you put on this event and like one or two people show up. We had a recently uh, a panel discussion with um, like six different professionals, including myself. We had two people show up and it's so heartbreaking because I'm like, we could really help you and get on this path to a better outcome, you know, later on and just, and just have you learning information. Um, yes. But people don't show up until they're in crisis. And so that makes it so much harder because um, we don't make our best decisions in crisis. Um, yes. But I do, I mean, I do have resources. We do, I do try to help people as much as I possibly can. Um, whether they use my services or not, I'll certainly at least provide some resources or tell them, you know, where, where to get the information that they need because there really is so much out there and every single situation is different. And I can't impress upon that enough is that, you know, we tend to listen to our friends and our, you know, who sits next to us in the pew and church on Sunday and um, their situation might be very different from yours and they can send you down a path that's not the best path for you. And, you know, even if it's a half hour free consultation I'd rather do that and get you on a path that works for you than have you going down a path that's going to lead to frustration because it's not going to be, you know, the same situation as your friends had. Yeah. So I, someone had just asked, um, how do you work with your clients? Are you local or do you go all over? 
I typically work with clients um, through video chatting or on the phone. If they are local to me, I certainly can meet with them. I'm, in, um, I'm on the west coast of Florida, um, so I certainly can meet with people. But like a lot of my clients here, for example, their families live, you know, like you may have the parent lives here, but their families live far away. And so we do a lot of phone conversations or video chats um, to, you know, to work with them. So that's what I do. So I can work with anybody anywhere. Okay. And can you explain, because some people don't know what a video chat is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they have some different video programs. Like it could be a fa- like FaceTime if you have um, Apple products like an iPod or an iPad. Uh, not an iPod, gosh, an iPad or an iPhone. Um, you can do FaceTime video chatting on there. There's Skype. Uh, there's a program called Zoom. So there's a lot of different things that you can use to do a video chat. And then you're just on your computer and I'm on my computer. We can see each other face-to-face, so it's almost like we're in person, and um, we just chat back and forth. So if, if somebody isn't computer literate, um, do you do phone calls? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. And then um, do you, when you do coaching, is it just a one-on-one or could it be like a family that meets with you? We can certainly do family coaching. Uh, a lot of times it's one-on-one because usually there's one person that, you know, reaches out to me. Uh, but we do have sometimes where there's some sort of family mediation, I guess, in some ways or just some community things that we need to work out. And so I can do some group coaching as well. Okay. And is there a difference in cost for that, if it's one person versus a family dynamic thing? There's not. You okay. know, it's just an hourly rate. So. Oh. Okay. I didn't know if you had packages or if you're comfortable disclosing, you know, what you charge, because I know people are curious with those types right. of things. Yeah, I usually charge $150 an hour. Um, there are some packages that you can buy uh, to, you know, so that we can just talk about that. It's really, again, everything is different for every family, so I try not to box it in too much, but I do have some packages that people can, can purchase um, yeah. for long-term, you know, longer stretches mm-hmm. of coaching. And, and people and then might we get a go. discount. Yeah. And people might think, oh, $150, that's a lot. And it's like, but you, when you look at the time that you're saving and the knowledge and the comfort you're going to get in that hour, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. Do you, um, some people do um, like texting and some do face-to-face time, some do telephone. Do you do, you know, do you check in with people? Are there packages that kind of include that to kind of ping people? Because I know sometimes families just get so overwhelmed, they forget to reach out, even if they've contracted with something, because they're just so right. so overwhelmed. Right. No, absolutely. I do text support. Um, there's also another um, app called Voxer that I can reach out on. So it just, and it depends on the, on the person's um, knowledge of these different things. But texting, um, calling, reaching out, absolutely. We can mm-hmm. certainly and do you- that. Okay. Because, you know, today everybody communicates differently. I mean, I, even with my kids, I I can call, but no one ever picks up their phone. You know, I'm better (laughs) off just getting my thumbs going and texting them and then boom, they're right, right on it, you know, and it's it's like, well, I sent you an email. Well, I don't check my emails. Well, well, what, you know, (laughs) 
like, yes. I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm 60, so I check everything, you know, <laughs> all the time. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it's really important to know how to communicate with people. I was uh, at a, it was actually an anniversary, 50th anniversary the other day. And it was kind of funny because somebody said, yeah, I didn't find out till today I was supposed to, you know, be here and I was supposed to bring something, you know, I found out the day before and they're like, I never got the invite. And it's like, well, the person who did the invite did it on Facebook and that person doesn't check Facebook. So they had not a clue, you know, what right. was expected of them. And, and so it's just, it's something I think that all families in particular need to talk about. But then when you're dealing with a professional on top of it is, is really important. Um, I was reading today the, um, the National um, Institute of Health had put down some things for um, reduced falls. They had talked about, you know, cleaning up clutter and throw rugs and um, using chairs with arms and, you know, grab bars in the bathroom and good lighting and, and solid shoes. Um, and those little tips, they're huge for people that they don't are understand. Here you know, what could happen or night lights, you know, that'll just automatically turn on as people are walking, you know, so that they can see. Um, do you have any um, any specific tips that you'd like to share that might be helpful for people who are caring? It, it might be tips like that, or it might be for self-care as well. Um, well, let's see. Off the top of my head, I would say that communication is key. So, um, and coming up, you know, just having a full discussion with the family about expectations, because that's really where this, um, this starts falling apart, is that, you know, you have expectations of what your siblings are going to do, or they have expectations of what you're going to do, and nobody's talking about those expectations. So I think really just managing expectations across the board as quickly and as, and as early as you possibly can, because that really, cre that really helps to um, push away any of these miscommunication or, or other issues that come up later. And, mm -hmm. and then as far as self-care, I think one of my big ones is, is set some boundaries and set some boundaries early on. Now, if you haven't done that, you know, we can go back and, and help set those boundaries. But I think that we have to be really clear about um, how we feel and, and how we express that to other people. Um, and, and asking for what you need and being very specific about asking for what you need. So if you need somebody to take dad to the doctor on Tuesday, um, be clear about saying, you know, mm -hmm. I need some help. Most people, what I hear is they say, I need help. I just need help. But they don't mm -hmm. say what kind of help they need. And then people really back off on that because they don't know if I offer help, am I there for a half hour or four hours, you know? And it's yep. really hard for people to offer help if they don't know what you need from them. So that would be my really, probably my biggest thing is when you need help, ask very specifically for what you need help with. And I'm actually working on something that I'm going to be putting out there. It's sort of like a help list uh, so that you can very clearly communicate that. And if somebody calls you, you know, it, from your group of friends or your family or your church or whatever it is and says, hey, you know, what can I do to help? then you can have a list ready to go about what that is and just keeping that in your, in your site so that you know and you can ask for something specific. Someone can say, you know what, that doesn't work for me. Is there anything else that you need me to do or whatever? Just so you can have this clear communication because the more clear we can be, 
the better things are for everybody. Oh, is that the truth? You know, one of my favorite stories was uh, a gal who, you know, would go to church and she was caring for her husband and she would have somebody come in on Sunday morning so that she could still go to church. And she would, her girlfriend would pick her up and bring her to church. And the the people at church would always ask, how can we help? And she's like, oh, it's okay. I got it. It's It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And one day Mm -hmm. her friend just got really upset with her on the way home and said, you are not okay. You tell me you're not okay. You need help. Why are you turning people down? And she says, well, I don't even know what I would ask them for. So the next Sunday um, she picks up her friend and she hands her a pack of index cards. And she said, Mm -hmm. I want you to go home after church and I want you to write one thing on each card that you could use help with. If it's somebody getting your mail or cutting the grass or coming to visit so you get your hair done or taking out the trash or helping with grocery shopping or preparing a meal, it's like it doesn't make any difference. Just write anything and everything down if you need a nap and just need someone to come. And so she right. did that the following Sunday. <clears throat> Somebody came up, you know, said again, is there anything we can do? And she just reached into her purse and she didn't even know what she was pulling out. And she handed her a card. Mm-hmm. And she said that was so empowering because it mm-hmm. made her feel good. And it was really a truly a surprise gift then when that person did that because she didn't even know what she's pulling out. But she was just right. so thankful that her friend called her out. on, Yes, you do need right. help. And stop turning it away when it shows up, <laughs> you know, and we do that a lot. Right. And I think, and I think we do it because we feel pressured that we're supposed to handle it ourselves. Right. No, that's so mm-hmm. true. And we have, and we have a hard time asking for help. Yep. I mean, yep. <laughs> you know, let's face it. We just have a hard time asking for help. And, and I love that. And that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm working on is so they have this, um, sense of empowerment and so they can ask because also we forget what we need help with right mm-hmm. so we we might be doing something and we think oh gosh I really wish you know I had somebody who could help do this we'll write it down and then next time you know somebody call or somebody calls or you see somebody and they say what can I do you're like oh I have this you know little list here pick something off of it or whatever exactly. I mean we do this we do this in so many areas of our life right when I had my daughter my youngest daughter you know, my neighbors, we came home from the hospital and they called and said, what can we do? We want to bring you dinner. What can we get for you? You know, we do this in so many different areas of life. But when we're caring for, you know, our spouse or our aged parent or whatever, we just think we have to do it all. And that's just not, you know, nobody thinks, well, I mean, I guess, you know, new mothers think they have to do it all too, but there is a lot more support and help there. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know why we just think this area uh, we choose not to get the help that we really need. Yeah. Well, and I, I, again, I think it's that expectation that most of us feel society has put on us that we're supposed right. to our job, you know, right. especially if you're like, if you're like the only girl or the oldest girl in the family, you know, boom, you know, that's just who's, who everyone says is going to take care of this. But people don't even right. know what what that entails, and so that's I think that's true. where it gets so overwhelming because you're really running another household, and people don't look at it like that. But right. you know, most no. of the time, that's where it ends up going, um, especially if someone you know really needs you know full full care, even when they're 
living independently, I mean, I was doing all the finances for my folks. I was making all the doctor's appointments. I was bringing them to and for. I was, you know, doing the grocery shopping, doing the laundry. And, yeah, they looked independent, but, but they weren't. They weren't fully right. capable of running a household. And so I think that's a conversation that that needs to be looked at differently that people don't understand. And and I, I can say even for myself, you know, I just started doing that stuff and you just kind of pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. And and I have to be honest, I didn't tell my brothers I was doing all that stuff until I got overwhelmed. Right. And then right. it probably came out sideways, you know. Right. And, right. And, and so we have to take responsibility for having the conversations or I'll, I'll never forget how mad I was at my um my folks' friends one time, they went out for lunch, and they come back, and they go, oh, we're going to go to Texas. And I'm like, see, you can no more maneuver going to Texas. You know, we're in Minnesota. And they could not pack. They could not carry their luggage. They could not maneuver an airport. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on of how right. that would not work. And in yet, and, and I thought, how can they do this when I'm working so hard? How do they not know? And then I then I sat down and I burst out laughing. I'm like, because I've never told them. I've never told them that I go over and I make sure that they are well-groomed and that my dad has money to be able to pay the bill and that, you know, someone else comes and picks them up. And when they go out, they can talk about old times and, you know, laugh and all that camaraderie, but the skill sets to do all the, you know, executive functioning things were gone, you know, and the strength right. and, 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 you know, and, and so then it was like, okay, I have to start being honest with them now on what's going on. And I thought I was mm-hmm. protecting them. And I think sometimes us as families, we do that where we think we're protecting somebody, but then others don't even know that we need help because we haven't told them. Right. And so how, how can you be mad at somebody when you haven't been honest, but it's hard to look in the mirror sometimes. It's very that. hard to look in the mirror. Yeah, it is very hard to look in the mirror and uh, to admit those things and say, oh, you know, I never, I never told you that I needed help or that mom and dad weren't as independent as you think they are. And even into your point, they look independent on the outside, but there's a lot of supportive services that are being offered um, for them that's making them not that independent. And so yeah. if you've got, and if you've got siblings who live far away, they're talking to mom or dad on the phone and thinking mom and dad are just fine. What is your problem? You know? Yeah. Yep. Oh, you hear that all because the time. They don't don't see, yep. They don't yeah, see they don't the things see. that you're doing. Yeah. The data, the day-to-day stuff. Well, I know our listeners are probably wondering um, how, how do they know when they need to work with you and and how do they contact you? We only have about five minutes left. So um, why don't you share that with us? (laughs) So I think that um, how how people know that they need to work with me is um, they're in crisis. They don't know where to turn or where to go. Um, Maybe they're having some family dynamics, some of the issues that we've talked about today. Um, They feel stuck. They don't know how to communicate. Um, They're frustrated. Um, expectations aren't being met, um, any number of those things that could be going on with them. And so those are just, you know, some of the things that will help. Or if they just want to get some resources, uh, that type of thing, I can help them with that too or or put a plan into place of, you know, here's where we are today and, um, you know, 
here's the things that might happen so that we can just kind of be planning a little bit for the future. So those are different ways that I can help. You can contact me by phone at uh, my phone number is 404-395-8551. And again, that's 404-395-8551. And then there's also email, which is at is hello, H-E-L-L-O, at thecaregiverscoach.org. And you are also on Facebook and Instagram as well if they want to um, follow you or connect with you via Correct. via those modes as well. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really um, interesting conversation, and I think it will help a lot of people. And, again, just go to thecaregiverscoach.org, um, again, or give her a holler at 404-395-8551. Five, one. Thank you, Sandra, so much for, for being with us and the work that you're doing to help families. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Lori. It's been a pleasure. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, and thank you for listening and uh, joining us here at Alzheimer's Speaks, uh, again, where we focus on shifting our dementia care around the world from crisis to comfort. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so, and pass the link on to others as well. I think this was a great conversation that could really help a lot of families, and hopefully you've picked up some new techniques and tips and definitely a resource to put in your pocket or to pass along to a friend or a family who is dealing with dementia. You can also find more resources on alzheimerspeaks.com. We have tons of things there. You can always click on our initiatives and projects uh, tab and learn about memory cafes or becoming dementia friendly. Um, The list kind of goes on and on with that. And um, last, if you're a business and looking to really expand your your brand footprint, we also help companies uh, do that by leveraging all of our content platforms to increase access to your products, services, and tools. So just reach out to me at Lori at AlzheimerSpeaks.com or again, just go to AlzheimerSpeaks.com and there's a big contact button and I would be more than glad to talk to you about details. Thanks so much, and we'll talk soon. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.